I'm Dick Ostrom, and you're listening to Vaccine Questions, brought to you by the Royal Irish Academy Life and Medical Sciences Committee in partnership with the Health Research Board. In each episode, I'll be chatting with experts from public health, immunology, virology, bioethics, statistics, and behavioral science. I'll be asking them to explain how science is helping us to tackle this virus and trying to understand vaccines and vaccination a bit better. Hello and welcome and thank you for listening. Today we will be discussing the vaccination experience, what happens when you are called in for your first jab, and who better to talk to us about this than Dr. Lucy Jessup, Director of the National Immunization Office. Lucy, perhaps you could tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, yep. So uh, I trained, uh, I'm a medical doctor, so I trained at Cambridge University and then worked in the UK for a while, particularly uh, I was a children's doctor, so a paediatrician. Uh, and during my time doing that, I um, realized that there were some children coming in with very severe um, infectious diseases that could have been prevented by vaccinations. And I realized that that was really where I wanted to uh, take my career effectively to try and prevent these children becoming unwell rather than having to pick up the pieces after they were in hospital. I, you know, I really realized how effective and important vaccinations were, particularly for young children. So um, then I trained in public health uh, in the United Kingdom uh, in England. And then I was working in Northern Ireland for the four years um, in the public health agency there, particularly, again, leading their immunization programs. And then I've now been uh, the director of the National Immunization Office since uh, the beginning of 2019 in the Republic here. And uh, again, so we uh, are basically an office responsible for managing the vaccine procurement distribution uh, for all the national vaccine programs in Ireland. We also develop training and communication materials for the public and healthcare professionals. So uh, effectively for all the, the national vaccination programs that we have here. So for the, the, the baby vaccines, the school vaccines, the flu vaccine, and now uh, for the COVID vaccine program. Okay, Lucy. Um, the first question is in from Dermot Diamond from Dublin. And he asks, how will people be notified when they are to attend for inoculation? I would add to that, who will give me the shot? And then a related question, somebody saying, I'm over 70 and haven't heard anything yet about my vaccination appointment. Is something wrong? Did I get left out? You can imagine that being a, a point of fear for, for people as they're preparing to go for these shots, but nobody's contacting them. Yeah, so at the moment, uh, we are working down through the government prioritisation list uh, as per the groups that uh, are, are most at risk of COVID-19, particularly uh, severe disease and death. So as you know, uh, we've pretty much completed the uh, those people who work and live in nursing homes and long-term care facilities who are over 65 and frontline healthcare workers. And we're now with the GPs working through those people 70 years and over. Uh, and we've been uh, working down at the oldest age groups first and then down uh, down to 70. So at the moment, I think most of the GPs are working uh, around those sort of 75 to 79 years. Um, and so uh, you just need to wait to be called by your GP. If you're registered with a GP and you're 70 years and over, your GP will call you when they uh, have vaccines available. Uh, we're also uh, working on group four at the moment as well 
well, which is people at very high risk of COVID-19 disease, some specific conditions, and they're being called by the hospital. So again, if you're under hospital care for some of these very high risk conditions, you should be called forward for vaccination in the next few weeks. So uh, in the main, people are going to be called forward uh, by whoever is supposed to be vaccinating them. So if you're on a hospital list or on a GP list, you'll be called forward. Uh, In the future, as we go down the prioritisation list, it might be uh, that you will be uh, called forward via advertising, for example, and then you'll be able to go on to to log on to a computer system and put yourself uh, on a list to be vaccinated. So as we work down through the list, there might be different ways to call people forward. But uh, for people at the moment, uh, you will be called when you're eligible. Okay, very good. You can imagine people being nervous, though, if they've heard nothing and and they're waiting and waiting and nothing, and they begin to get panicky about it. So hopefully that'll set their minds at rest. People ask as well, do I need to do anything in preparation for the shot? Do I have to fast? Do I have to not drink liquids? I mean, is there any kind of proviso, you know, that says you shouldn't do that? Uh, no, there's nothing specific you need to do. It's very similar to most people uh, will be uh, familiar with coming forward for a flu vaccine, for example. It's very much the same as that. Uh, the people that can't uh, come forward for vaccine is anyone who currently has COVID-19 or has had COVID-19 in the last four weeks. Uh, people who've just had a, another vaccine for another reason in the last 14 days or anyone who has uh, a current illness with a fever, you need to wait until that uh, illness has got better. The only other thing I might advise you before you come forward for vaccination, do try and make sure uh, you wear some loose fitting clothes like a t-shirt or something like that because they do need to get quite high up on your upper arm when they're giving you your vaccine so it's just much easier if you have clothes that mean uh, that that's easy an easy site to access and you don't have to take off too many layers when you're there very good the there's an interesting question in from Emer keeling and in part you've touched on it but you receive the shot if someone in the household you're with has covid or if you've had it recently i mean what are the controls or limits that you have in terms of giving the vaccination when somebody has either been in or around someone with COVID? Yeah. So uh, if anyone has been told they must self-isolate because they're a close contact of someone with COVID, you mustn't come forward to the vaccine centre because you wouldn't want to put other people at risk. So you just need to wait your time until uh, you finish your self-isolation period. Uh, And the same with COVID-19 itself. Like I said, you need to wait for four weeks after COVID-19 and then you can come forward for the vaccine if you're called. So just make sure that you basically recovered is, is the main thing and four weeks afterwards. Very good. People um, talk about this being a sore event. It's going to make your arm sore. It's going to make you feel sick. Um, All kinds of of, um, horror stories float around the place with people making ridiculous claims. But what can we expect to happen afterwards? Is it does everyone get sore and everyone gets sick or is it a rare or unusual occasion? Um, no, so these vaccines, uh, we do know that they probably cause uh, more side effects than some of the other vaccines that we use, like the flu vaccine. So more than one in 10 people will probably get a side effect. They're usually mild or moderate uh, in nature, and they don't usually last too long. So one to two days usually. So some of the normal things you would think with vaccines, like a sore arm, redness around the, the injection site, and then some of those more uh, whole body symptoms like uh, sort of flu-like aches and pains, headaches, joint pains, um, Occasionally with AstraZeneca, people are are seeing uh, diarrhea and vomiting, Um, uh, but a lot of these uh, things are quite easily treated with paracetamol. You might need to stay in bed for a day. Some people might need to take a day off work after AstraZeneca, Uh, but in in the main, they're they're sort of self-limiting and um, uh, sort of clear up within a day or two. Uh, In very rare occasions, uh, obviously, uh, as with other vaccines and other medicines, some people may have a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine, but the the Mm -hmm teams who are vaccinating are very well trained to deal with those those rare occasions. Okay. When you get these um, side effects and that kind of thing, 
is it a sign that the, the uh, vaccine isn't actually working properly or it will eventually do its job, but it's making you feel bad in the meantime? Or it, does it mean that the, the vaccine is actually working? I think it's more likely to mean that the vaccine's actually working, that your body is making a response to it. So it's not a bad thing to know that you have these reactions. If they go on for more than a couple of days, particularly if you have a fever, you obviously also have to have in the back of your mind that could this be COVID, could this be something else? So uh, if they do go on for more than a couple of days, particularly with fever, then do make sure that you call your GP and ask for a COVID-19 test because you could al already have been incubating COVID uh, when, you, when you have your vaccine. Okay. So in other words, when when we look at the situation and say that there's I should be concerned if, say, for example, I have a, a fever running for more than a couple of days. Are there other signs that would tell people that they should really go and check with their GP? Uh, yeah, so if, after a couple of days, if you still have a fever, then you just do need to uh, go and check just in case for, for COVID-19. Uh, and then obviously it's been well publicized for, very recently with AstraZeneca. There are these extremely rare uh, uh, conditions of bleeding or blood clots that people need to be aware of. So uh, if after the first couple of days of the vaccine, uh, after AstraZeneca, if you experience breathlessness, pain in your chest or your stomach, swelling or cold arms and legs, a very severe headache, blurring of vision or any bleeding under the skin or bruising under your skin, then again, you should make sure you go and get checked out by your GP. Okay, very good. Now there's a piece, a question in from Michael Brennan uh, from Waterford. And he obviously knows something about this business because it's quite a long letter and it's quite detailed in, t in terms of its content. Uh, I think what uh, the bottom line for him is given the, f the success rates, the lower success rate of the, of the various vaccines, some were better, some were worse, he's inclined to refu refuse the AstraZeneca uh, if offered it. But he asks, is he going to have a choice? Um, is this something he can have a say over? Because again, he feels the AstraZeneca doesn't provide as good a service as the other ones. Yeah, no, all the vaccines are very, very effective at preventing severe illness and death. I think they're all pretty much 100% effective at, at severe at preventing severe illness and death. So they're all very good vaccines. Uh, there has been, there is a little bit of difference in some of the uh, efficacy uh, in the trials. But actually, if you look at AstraZeneca uh, after the second dose, the the efficacy in the trial uh, for COVID-19 disease is 85%. So um, higher than than is quoted in this letter, actually. So it is a very good uh, vaccine. They're all very good vaccines, and they're all particularly good at preventing severe illness and death. Uh, so um, with limited supplies, it isn't possible for people to choose which vaccine that they're being offered. The National Immunisation Advisory Committee advises that all these vaccines are safe and effective to be used in people of all ages. So uh, I would advise people to accept the vaccine when they're offered the vaccine, whichever type that they're offered. That's been the advice anywhere I've gone. And talk to people about this. It's it's if it's being offered, take the one that's being offered and don't wait. Yeah. Okay. This is a question that comes up as well, and I don't know if I've actually heard a definitive answer on it. When you get called for the second shot, do you have to have the same brand of vaccine again, or does it have to be a similar type, like a Johnson and Johnson type or a Moderna type? vaccine. Do you need to have the same thing? Uh, yep. So uh, for those with two doses uh, in a schedule, you do need to have the same vaccine for the second uh, dose. That will be offered to you. Obviously, the computer system will know which vaccine you had for the first vaccine and they will call you forward for the second vaccine. Mm -hmm. With Johnson & Johnson, it's actually only a one dose uh, shot. So you don't need another vaccine with Johnson & Johnson. That's not available yet in Ireland, but hopefully will be coming sort of uh, mid-April time roughly. Okay. And does it matter how long 
you wait before you get the um, second jab? Uh, yep. So there's different uh, courses, as with quite a lot of vaccines that are two uh, doses. It depends which vaccine it is. Uh, so for the mRNA vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, uh, the course interval is 28 days. So about a month between the two doses. And with the AstraZeneca, we know from studies, actually, if you wait longer, there's a greater efficacy. So uh, with the AstraZeneca, the dose uh, interval is 12 weeks between the two doses. Okay. And people should try to stick to that. Yeah. But again, there'll be contact. As much as possible, yes. Uh, but if you do, say, for example, get COVID in between your first and your second dose, it doesn't matter if you uh, go a bit longer than that while you're recovering, it will still be effective once you get the, the second dose. So um, if yeah, if there's some reason you can't come forward for your second dose exactly on time, you don't need to restart the course or anything like that. Okay. Question in from a, a woman who's breastfeeding. Is it okay to have the shots when you're, she's breastfeeding? Is it possible for her to do that or is, do you have to stop? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It is safe uh, during breastfeeding. There's a very helpful uh, uh, document around pregnancy and breastfeeding and COVID-19 vaccines from NIAC and the Institute of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which you can find on the NIAC website or the National Immunization Office website, which gives reassurance around those sort of issues around pregnancy, breastfeeding and fertility if people want to look into that. Very good. Now, um, this is an in interesting question. Do I have to continue to social distance once I've had the vaccine? You you think about it and you say, oh, I've had the vaccine, so I must be good now. I can go anywhere and do anything and meet up with whoever. Um, but is that the case? Is it safe to do that? Or should you still wear a mask? Are you still, uh, can you infect someone? At the moment, uh, and there's no change in advice for people who've been vaccinated. So at the moment, we do know it's very good at protecting you personally against severe COVID-19 illness and, and death, but it's not yet known about whether it reduces transmission. So it's not yet known whether you could be carrying it and passing it on to somebody else without realising even if you've been vaccinated. So for the moment, uh, everyone must still adhere to all the COVID-19 uh, restrictions as as with everybody else whether you're vaccinated or not uh, in the future once we learn more about these vaccines possibly uh, some of those rules might be relaxed but at the moment people need to continue to follow the rules okay very good there's talk about having a vaccination passport and it seems like a good idea if you're somebody who either is, is itching to travel because you like it or if you have business is such a thing feasible or have we been considered this is the eu thinking about it or do you know if anyone's kind of advancing this idea having a passport to say, yes, I have had the shots. Yeah, I think it's certainly being considered at an EU level. And uh, that would be for the, the government in Ireland to consider that, whether that's going to be introduced in Ireland. So I don't think that is something that's uh, definitive as yet and how that would be used, but it mm -hmm. may well be something that's introduced in the future. And uh, the good thing about having this national computer system with everybody's details on is it would be possible, obviously, to produce that in the future if that's something that is uh, comes forward as, as, as a thing. Okay. Um, Paul Sweeney has sent in a, a letter or a note um, talking about the protecting the vulnerable in the vaccine rollout. I think he feels that the people haven't been treated correctly or people, immunosuppressed and transplant survivors are being you know, put in jeopardy or he's, he's dissatisfied any with, anyway with the long wait for these people to, to get the shot. This has all been worked out, I assume, though, and, and the, all consideration has been given to this situation. Yeah, absolutely. So as I sort of said at the beginning, we're following the uh, government guidelines in terms of the prioritisation. This was looked at very carefully, looking at the people that were most at uh, risk of severe COVID-19 illness and death. And the most, uh, the biggest factor is age. So that's why we're covering people in long-term care facilities and then people 70 plus to start with. And then the next group, which we're also doing at the moment, is group four, uh, which is 
is people at very severe, uh, uh, with very high risk conditions. So actually some of these conditions here, those with severe immunosuppression and uh, transplant patients, they're actually starting to be vaccinated now. Uh, and then we're moving on down uh, the cohorts for 65 uh, and over, and then also other people with uh, other uh, conditions that put them at risk of COVID-19 disease. Those are the next uh, groups down to be vaccinated in the next few months. Okay. This is related to it in a sense. Maggie, 37 from Cork. Um, she's on immunosuppressant drugs and she just wants to know, can she still be vaccinated and does anything have to change for her? Uh, yep. So uh, like I said, there are some people uh, now on some very specific immunosuppressant drugs with with sort of heavy immunosuppression who are being vaccinated now. Uh, and then others will be uh, vaccinated in group seven. Uh, but there's no reason to stop taking any immunosuppressive drugs or anything like that before your vaccination. Continue to take uh, any medicines that are prescribed for you. Uh, we don't know exactly whether they'll be as uh, effective as people would not on immunosuppression, but uh, it's it's the best, the best protection that we have to give people. So I would definitely advise people on immunosuppression to come forward and to be vaccinated when they're called. Okay, very good. Um, that's the end of the formal list. There's another question I have in mind. Will there be any special provision for those who are taking care of um, the elderly or taking care of people who aren't mobile enough to be able to get to a GP? Um, the, the, the people who, in fact, are providing, providing food and support and help uh, in their normal lives, will they be able to be vaccinated? along with the person that you're caring for? So at the moment, formal carers, sort of home helps, those kind of people are, are being uh, vaccinated as part of frontline healthcare workers. And then as we say, we're next targeting those uh, at particular risk of COVID-19 disease themselves. So those people with those uh, conditions, carers are not uh, currently designated on any of the lists. And uh, obviously some of this, these prioritization lists are being revised as we go forward. So I don't know whether the, in the future they will be revised and added onto a specific list or whether they will just be done as... Uh, as we go down through the priority groups. I'm so grateful to Dr. Lucy Jessup for taking the time out of her extremely busy schedule to come onto the program today. And it was great to be able to answer so many of our listeners' questions. And if listeners want to view that fact sheet on vaccines and breastfeeding that Lucy mentioned, we put the link in our show notes. In our next episode, we'll be speaking to the head of the European Medicines Agency, Irish pharmacist Emer Cook. Thank you for listening, and thanks also to our partners in the Health Research Board, without whom this show would not be possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to hit subscribe. And if you want to recommend the show to others, just tell them to search Vaccine Questions wherever they get their podcasts. And if you have a question you'd like me to ask our experts next time, we'd love to hear from you. Just send your question along with your name and location to vaccinequestions at ria.ie. Take care and talk to you next time.